but we're going to continue in 2 Timothy in the back of the New Testament. The second chapter is Paul's writing his last letter recorded in the New Testament, and it would be addressed to his young protege, who at this time was pastoring the church at Ephesus. It was a church that Paul had started on his third missionary journey that you read about in Acts chapter 19. The city was given over to the gospel. Revival broke out, and, and people were getting saved. And then Paul, as he spent more time in Ephesus than any other time uh, on his missionary journeys, he spent three years there. We also know from the scriptures, for two of those years, he was discipling young men to be pastors. He taught at the school Tyrannus. They would go out and they would plant churches throughout proconsular Asia that we know about in the New Testament. For example, Colossae. Uh, as you read the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Philadelphia and Smyrna and Sardis and Thyatira, those churches were planted probably by those disciples that came out of that the school of discipleship. So there was much fruit that was uh, there in Ephesus. And you recall that as you move into chapter 20, that Paul, when he met with the Ephesian elders shortly after he left Ephesus on that third missionary journey, he would meet with them at Miletus. And you recall that he said to them that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. So, Father, we do pray this morning as we study your word that right now this is a letter that that was more than just to Timothy this is a letter from from you through Paul and also for us 2,000 years later so as we read the words here these few verses I pray that we would be encouraged that we would be uplifted that we would be instructed and Lord even as it was perilous times back then it's perilous times today and so we thank you that we are here. Help us be attentive to the things that we're going to read and study this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. But we also know that in Acts chapter 20, when he was visiting the Ephesian elders, that he warned them. He said that savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And so it would be about five years after that point that Paul, after his first imprisonment, remembered that in the year 61, 62 AD, that he was under house arrest, waiting to go on trial before Caesar Nero. He would be chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He was free to have visitors, but eventually he would stand before the emperor of Rome, Nero. He would be acquitted. He would then be released. He was free to travel about. He probably went to Spain. We don't know for sure, but that was his desire, as he writes at the end of the book of Romans. And so during that time, he would write to Titus, a young pastor that is the pastor of Crete. He would write to Timothy the first letter that he says that when I was in Macedonia, I urge you to remain in Ephesus. So Timothy is pastoring this church at Ephesus, a large church. He would also have influence of those other churches that were planted throughout proconsular Asia. And as Paul is writing to him in that first letter, he would emphasize to Timothy, you're going to have to deal with those who are teaching false doctrine. Matter of fact, the first charge that he gives to Timothy 
is you teach no other doctrine, Timothy. You're going to deal with those, you need to, that are given the myths and fables. In chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, those who are legalists, they have no implication uh, of what it is that they are teaching. Uh, he would have to deal with those who are bringing a false prosperity gospel, that we're teaching that godliness is a means of gain. And as Paul is writing to him, he's instructing him in those things to remain in sound doctrine, but also concerning church conduct and order. He would write to him about when you gather together as believers that you ought to pray for uh, those who are in authority, uh, that men lifting up holy hands unto the Lord, giving praise to him, that this is the role of men and women in the church. Here's the qualification of leadership of elders and deacons. This is how you treat one another in the church when it comes to older men and younger men and older women and, and, and young women and you are to treat them as sisters in the Lord with purity. This is how you deal with the widows, all these things when it comes to the elders. So that was the emphasis in his first letter. Now, five years later, after he wrote to Titus and to Timothy, things are different in that Nero has declared war on the Christians. He has begun to persecute the Christians very heavily. He's burning them at the stake. He's feeding them to the lions in the amphitheater. That Roman history tells us that what he would do is take Christians and he would sew them up in, in animal skins and feed them to wild dogs to tear at them. And so this is very scary times, perilous times. And we know that Paul, as he is now rearrested after his first imprisonment, he's now in a mandarin dungeon, which is horrible conditions. It was like a cistern that was cut out of the ground. And he would be dropped down there below and his dark and it's damp and it's very cold and you're going to sense that as you read these words as Paul's going to say to Timothy Timothy come to me quickly and bring my coat bring the parchments Timothy and as Paul is putting pen to parchment for the very last time right before he's going to be executed he knows that his departure from this life is coming very soon and Nero would give the orders to have him executed that he is emphasizing once again to Timothy, you keep the sound doctrine. And also he's encouraging him in his ministry and his walk with the Lord. You stay faithful to your ministry, Timothy. You keep fighting the good fight we've already seen. And also that we saw in the previous chapter that Paul says, Timothy, you stir up the gift that is in you. And as we discuss how it would be difficult for Timothy to have to, to pastor in these days because he's having to confront those wolves that had come into the church with their false doctrine. And, and it would, it would be very difficult for him and then the external forces of persecution coming against the church and the indication is as we read first and second timothy is that yes timothy as we get a hint of his personality he was very committed to the lord he was committed to paul in his ministry he had traveled with paul for 20 years and that wasn't easy he had even suffered with paul but he was maybe a bit anxious and a little bit afraid i i i can know that heart because it can be as a pastor when you have these challenges and then persecution happening and Paul here he is even though he knows that the orders are going to be given to have his head chopped off that he says to Timothy that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear but the Lord has given us a spirit of power and love and sound mind and therefore Timothy my son in the faith 
Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. It wouldn't be easy for Timothy to support an imprisoned apostle. And Paul, of course, would be there and, and because of his ministry and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in prison. And you recall that last week he would write, that I suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. He didn't say I know what I have believed. Paul was a great theologian, wrote most of the New Testament. But he says, I know him personally. And I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I committed to him until that day. I don't fear Caesar Nero who will execute me because I'm committed my life to Jesus. And I know whom I have believed. And he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So you continue, Timothy, to be faithful to the Lord. You be faithful to your ministry and hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul just continuing to encourage and exhort Timothy to be loyal to the faith, loyal to the ministry, loyal to the Lord personally. And now as we move into chapter 2, we will see that Paul encourages Timothy to be strong in grace. We read in verse 1 of that chapter, that you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you be strong, and the key is this, in the grace. You can't do it yourself. It only happens in the spirit of God's grace. Paul has been talking about, of course, being faithful in the previous chapter. In the two letters to Timothy, there are many exhortations for Timothy to be strong and to fight the good fight. And Paul knows that Timothy will need strength to fulfill faithfully the calling of God in his life. Yet Timothy's strength was not his own. It will come by his grace that is only found in Christ. Grace is a gift. A gift that we don't deserve. It is God's unearned, unmerited favor being poured out on us in our lives. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. I did a lot of things to deserve hell. I sinned. And I know that as I come to faith in Jesus, that his unmerited favor is bestowed upon me, given to me by grace. We know that salvation comes to us. We saw last week that Paul wrote in verse 9 of chapter 1 that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So God has saved us. He has called us to live for him, to serve him, and it's all by grace and by his love. We cannot boast in ourselves when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to living for him and serving him, the fruit that's produced because of him, it is by his wonderful grace, not partly grace, it is all grace. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, we're exhorted, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You see, we're saved by grace. Keep living and walking in that grace. And as you do, you will find strength as you walk and live in grace that is only found in Christ Jesus. And I know that I have learned, and many of you have discovered this as well, as we log some time with the Lord, that we find strength. I find strength, inner strength, when I realize that I am God's child. 
He loves me. He has called me to ministry and, and not my, my own thing, uh, not by my own merit. Uh, I don't deserve it, but I still have his love and favor even when I falter, even when I find myself weak, even when I find myself afraid or anxious. He loves me with an everlasting love. His love for me and for you as well is indescribable and unmeasurable. And he desires to do in our lives exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You see, as I've already mentioned that Paul, as he was dealing with the legalists, uh, we saw that in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, they don't understand what they say. And, and Paul, in his ministry, throughout his ministry, was always having to confront the legalists and the Judaizers and those who would put people under the yoke of the law, those who would beat people down. And you don't have God's favor unless you deserve it. And you do this and you keep these rules and these regulations. And Paul was such a champion of grace, wasn't he? And Paul here says, Timothy, you will find that inner strength as you live in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as we continue reading in verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's talking about discipleship. Timothy had ministered with Paul all these years as he traveled with Paul. He would hear many teachings of Paul. He would receive these letters from the apostle. And also he instructed, Paul did, and taught Timothy personally. And Paul says that these things which you have heard from me, you are to pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. He did not say pass it on to perfect men because there are no perfect men. He didn't say pass it on to those who are popular or those who are cool or those who are good looking or those who are funny, or those who know they're so articulate, they know how to fill the seats, good storytellers, all of that. He said, the things that you've learned from me, you pass them on to faithful men, and that's a key. Timothy, you keep raising up leaders and teachers of sound doctrine. And Paul here is at the end of his life. He's not getting out of this dungeon. There will be no more young men such as Timothy and Titus that he would be able to disciple and train and teach on a personal basis. But now, Timothy, what you have learned from me, you commit this and those things to faithful men. And that is a word I know for me as I get older. In 27 years of ministry, and, and as I get older, I want to keep going as long as the Lord gives me strength to do it. But I want to pass on what I have learned the truth of God's word to others so they can pass it on to others, so they can minister in the future. It's wonderful to see that happening in the body of Christ as a whole as he gave some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry. As you're hearing the word of God being taught, then it equips you to be able to teach others as well, to be able to minister the truth to others, to your kids' parents, that you are to teach them, raise them up in the ways of the Lord, in the truth of the word of God, so they, when they get older and they grow up fast, we're seeing the kids that years ago, they're grown up and they're married and they're having kids, that they can pass it on to their children. You can keep ministering to your grandchildren. 
It's a wonderful thing that is to take place in the body of Christ. I look at some of these kids. I look at the youth and I think if the Lord tarries, who's going to be the ones that are going to be the leaders in the church? Because I'm not going to last forever. And if the Lord tarries, that we need to make sure that we're passing on those things that, that are important to stay true to the word of God, to love the people. The things that I learned from my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, he was such an example to us guys of just staying true to the word of God. Whenever we had pastor's conferences and we met, he never stood up and said, this is what you need to do to grow your church. And this is what you are to wear. And this is how you are to have the lights in your stage. And this is the latest trend that's going on. Sometimes I feel bad for young guys getting into ministry because their their ministry is based on what's the the most popular thing trend that's going on in the culture today and so much emphasis is on method that nothing is really said about the message staying true to the word of god and being in prayer and just loving the people and serving the people we want to pass that on to the younger guys, and they can pass it on to the younger guys if the Lord should tarry. And I think, how difficult is it going to be for them to minister in 10 years, in 20 years, if that's the case? Because it is getting more difficult in the day in which we're living in. We know that culture is more antagonistic against the church and the truth of God's word more than ever before. And it is happening at a greater degree, very, very fast. And I think, you know, what's going to be the future? I know the Lord's going to come back. I know he's going to come for us. We don't know the day or the hour. But what is it going to be like for those guys in 20 years of the Lord tarries? You see, we want to encourage them to keep moving forward in the truth of God's word. And as we do, here is Paul doing that. And he says in verse 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. As Timothy would be faithful to the teaching of the truth of the gospel. He would teach sound doctrine in the church. And as he passed these things on to others, as they were being raised up in ministry, Paul says, it is like a soldier that is engaged in warfare. I find these verses to be intriguing because Paul says very plainly, said you must. He didn't say, well, I hope you don't have to endure hardship. Or it's a possibility it might get kind of hard for you, Timothy. He said, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we have read that Paul has already told Timothy that I give you this charge. You wage the good warfare. We saw in chapter 1 of this epistle, you fight the good fight. We are in a war that is going to bring hardship. We know that we're in a spiritual battle, as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6, that we have an adversary that throws the fiery darts at us. We have the world that comes against us. Jesus said, the world will hate you because it first hated me. And there's a reason why there's a war going on, because we're bringing the good news of salvation to others. And the enemy doesn't like that, Satan, and he wants to stop us, and the world doesn't like it. Unfortunately, again, so much of what we hear today in the church is how comfortable we can be rather than how committed that we are to be in this battle that we are engaged in. Don't entangle yourself in the affairs of this life. 
And as you and I and as this church, we stand on God's truth, we will have the world come against us. I think we know that to be true. As you teach your kids and your grandkids the truth of God's word, and as a church we do that, we know that the world will come against us. It still dumbfounds me that we can give a message of there's a wonderful creator who loves you and created you and sent his son to die for you and wants to save you and has real purpose for your life. You were created for his good pleasures to be his workmanship, that we have that wonderful message of a loving God that has provided salvation, and yet we're the ones that are nuts and crazy because we believe in a creator. And the popular thing is, well, God, there is no God. And you guys are a product of a monkey. And you have no hope. That's the popular thing. I don't understand it all. But that is our culture, and that is our world. And we're the ones that are exclusive and, and negative and hateful and all of this because we believe in biblical morality, that we're to pursue holiness even as he is holy, to pursue righteousness, that we believe in what the word of God says when it comes to biblical marriage between a man and a woman, when it comes to identity, you know, that's a popular thing in, in our culture today, that we identify with Christ that we're the ones that are out of touch and a danger. We're to stick true to the word of God, be faithful to teaching it to our children, to others here in this church, to the truth of the gospel. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, as you stand on the word of God and as you're living in his grace, it is a battle and it is a war. And there will be hardships, whether you are a pastor, a Bible leader teaching a group of people, or, or a parent raising your children. Whether you guys are up on the campus there, you're at school, wherever it might be. The exhortation is given to us here. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As a parent, as you say, I will raise my children in a godly way. There will be the pressures of the world. There will be pressure from your children's friend and even from their parents. And, and it can be easy just to say, I'll compromise. It's too hard of a battle. I just want to give up. It's too hard to fight the kids and everybody coming against me rather than being faithful to what God has called you to do and how to live. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. If you do, you can't be a good soldier. And it was Jesus that would say in Luke's narrative that you pray and watch lest you be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of life. Now, we would say, well, I'm not carousing and I'm not getting involved in drunkenness. But what about the cares of life? Because we all have cares of life. We have jobs. We have businesses. We have responsibilities. Uh, we have Bacon to do this season. We got shopping to do and decorating and cards to get out and projects that need to be done and kids' activities. And there's all the sports. There's all these things of the cares of life that we can get weighed down with and to take us away from the Lord and very easily say, well, everybody else is doing this. I guess we'll just join in with it. Be careful. As a pastor, ministry will have hardships. As a parent, it will have hardships. 
Paul as Timothy would have his own difficulties and trial. Paul says you must endure these hardship, and we can't do it in our own strength. We have to rely completely on the Lord who will strengthen us. He's our commanding officer, and we're enlisted in this warfare so that we may please him. When a soldier is fighting in this war that we are in, he's not to be entangled by the things of the world. A soldier's single-minded purpose is to have discipline, unquestionable obedience, and it's to the commander, Jesus Christ. A soldier is to be dedicated to service for him, their life to him, their sacrifice and commitment. A soldier doesn't just give up because hardships come their way, but we are told to stand fast. You might remember that it was Paul in his last exhortation to the Corinthians. When he finished that letter, he said to them, you watch and you stand fast in the faith and you be brave and you be strong. I see a soldier is going to be watchful. They're not sleeping. They're not complacent. They're paying attention. They're vigilant. And so it is Peter that would write in his epistle, listen, you as a Christian, you be sober, you be vigilant as a soldier watching because you have an adversary, the devil, who's a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour me. He wants to pounce on us. And if you are sleeping and lethargic and complacent, He's going to look for that opportunity to rip your head off, to pounce on you. We see those animal shows. I think most of us have, you know, Animal Planet and National Geographic. And there's the little gazelle that's there not paying attention, you know, wagging its little white tail and eating grass. And the lion comes up and pounces on it because they weren't watching. They weren't with the rest of the herd. We know that it is, you know, in Yellowstone, we've watched the wolves. And when they go after a, a, a herd of elk, they, they go after the one that's weak, that isn't watching. They go after the one that's lagging behind. In the Old Testament, the Amalekites would sneak up on the rear of the children of Israel. And it says that they would pick them off. They would do them in. Remember when Jesus was in the garden praying right before his arrest. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he said, you stay here and pray lest you enter into temptation. Matthew's gospel says that he said to them, watch and pray. And, of course, he would come back three times. And what were they doing? They were sleeping. Jesus finally sat there as he watched them. They were sleeping. And he would then see the torches that were coming from the house of Caiaphas. In our slides of Israel, we showed you where Caiaphas' house was in comparison to the garden where those soldiers, a thousand of them, the temple soldiers coming led by the betrayer Judas with torches, and he would see the lanterns, the torches coming as they would go down the Gehenna Valley across the Kidron Valley, and they would come to arrest Jesus. As they were sleeping, the enemy was coming. And he will do the same thing with you and with me if we are asleep. He's going to be plotting and he's going to be coming. So you be watchful as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You stand fast in the faith. One of David's mighty men, Shama, 2 Samuel chapter 23. David told him that you stand guard here in the field to watch the beans, the lentils. 
And all of a sudden the Philistines came and then there was a shout, the Philistines are coming and the people fled, it tells us. But Shammah held his ground. He stood fast. He heard the command of his, you know, commanding officer, David, uh, King David. He told me to stand here and plant myself and guard these, these lentils. And that's what I'm going to do. And it's like the Lord looked out on him and said, I like that. And gave him the strength to defeat the Philistines. As you hear the command of your commanding officer, the same commander of the Lord's army, the son of David, the greater than David, he's already given us victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. But in the battle that rages around us, he'll strengthen us as we stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Don't waver. Don't surrender to culture, the ungodly influences that are around us, because the Philistines are coming, and they're all around us wanting us to retreat. Be watchful. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave, Paul would say. It takes a lot of courage to fight the good fight of the Spirit. And I think about Peter, that he was a brave individual. I mean, he got out of the boat and walked on the water. That took a lot of courage for Peter to do that. And as he's walking on the water, all of a sudden he noticed the wind and the rain and the waves coming against him. And he got his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And the Lord in his grace would pull Peter out of the water and plop him back into the boat. But Peter was brave. He was brave when he pulled out that sword and, and cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, there in the garden when they arrested Jesus. He had been determined. He said to Jesus, all these other guys may forsake you, not me. I'll even die with you. I'll die for you. I'll never leave you, Lord. And there's Peter in his own strength trying to be brave, and he takes out a sword and whack, gets an ear. And, of course, Jesus heals the ear, and then all of a sudden they all split. He's taken bound to Caiaphas' house. And it says in the Gospels that Peter followed from a distance. The King James says from afar. And he comes into the courtyard of Caiaphas and he's warming himself at the fire. And the people are coming. You know him. You're one of his disciples. He's cursing and swearing. I don't know the man. I don't know him. And then a little girl comes up to him, a servant girl, and says, you're one of them. Uh, I know you are. You, your speech is a Galilean. And he's cursing and swearing. I don't know the man. And here is Peter that shows such courage. He tried to do it in his own strength, and his own ability. And yet he's afraid of a servant girl. I don't know the man. And he failed and he faltered. For us to be strong in the Lord in his grace, you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord in the storms that we go through in life. When the winds of adversity are coming against us and we can't follow the Lord from a distance, we've got to stay close to him. And you can't find yourself at the fires of the world warming yourself but to stay in a place where there's safety and security, and that is with the body of believers. And look into him where you're going to be encouraged and strengthened. Be brave. You see, it's the contuagent. Uh, I knew I would say that, get that word out. Be brave. One other place of the Old Testament 
quit you like men. 1 Samuel chapter 4. See, it comes from that story where the Philistines had heard that the children of Israel took out the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, no. Oh, no, they took out the Ark of the Covenant. Their gods defeated the Egyptians. What are we going to do? They drowned the Egyptians. The the Egyptians were defeated at that time. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, one of them stood up and said, quit you like men or be brave. Quit your sniveling, wipe your noses, and go fight. So they fought. They captured the Ark of the Covenant for reasons we don't have time to go into this morning. So if the Philistines of the world are saying that, how much more the church needs us to fight the good fight for your family, for those that you love, for those around us to be brave and to be strong. The fourth exhortation, listen, Joshua was told in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and good courage by the Lord. Be strong and good courage. Be strong and good courage. The fourth time, the people come to Joshua and they said, Joshua, we'll follow you. We'll do what you tell us to do. But we do ask one thing of you. You be strong and of good courage. So I want to say that this to me, to all of us this morning. Listen. There are people in your life that need you to be strong. They need you, mom and dad, to be strong of good courage. They need you, grandparents, to be strong of good courage. They need you, whoever is linked to you in your life, to be strong of good courage. You need me. I think your expectation of me as a pastor to be strong of good courage, and that's why I ask for your prayer. Because I can sense the heart, if I said, of Timothy, who has this daunting task of pastoring this church and the pressure around him that, you know, remain in Ephesus. Why I'm in Macedonia, Timothy, it's like Timothy was saying, I'm going to come find you, Paul, and hide under the biggest rock I can find. Because this is hard and this is difficult. People need us to be strong and good courage. We can't be weak. We can't say, I'm not going to fight the good fight. I'm just going to give in to what the world says and culture says. There are people that need you and I to be strong, good courage. And it isn't, I'm going to spit nails and eat glass, you know, and grit my teeth and tough it out. Because you will fail and I will fail. It is, Lord, help me. Help me to be strong, good courage. To be strong with good courage. Because there are people that desperately need me to minister to them. To help them, to exhort them, to be strong at this time. To be strong at this time. In the day in which we're living in. They came back to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and Nehemiah chapter 4 and the people were discouraged. The enemy is coming against them. There's so much rubble. They said, we can't do this. And and look at the enemies coming against us. Uh, We can't do this, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he said, don't be afraid of them. And remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren and fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your wives and fight for your houses. And I like that. And we need that encouragement. Listen, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. But of power and love and sound mind. So fight. 
Will you fight for your marriage? Will you fight for your kids? For your sons and your daughters? Will you fight for your homes and say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And we are going to honor him. And put on the whole armor of God. And Lord, we need you. And we need your strength. One more exhortation that Paul would give. The final one. Be watchful. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And then all that you do, do with love. And as you live in this life, giving truth to others, you do it with love. Loving others. It isn't walking around with, you know, trying to be a tough guy. But it's, I'm going to love people enough to give them truth. I'm going to love my kids enough to guard them and to protect them. I'm going to love my spouse enough to be a covering to them and to love her as Christ loves the church. I'm going to do it all in Christ's love for others. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these few verses here. And, Lord, there's so much packed in this epistle. And I pray that it's brought encouragement and maybe even challenge right now. Because, Lord, we can get beat down and weighed down and tossed around. And you've called us to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I want to pray right now, if there's anyone here listening to this message, that you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, maybe you've tried to be a good person or you belong to a church, you grew up in the church or listen to Bible studies. Those things are not going to save you. It is making a commitment to Jesus Christ, realizing that you are a sinner, that Jesus said repent. That means turn direction, quit going the way that you're going and come to him. He loves you. He created you to save you. He went to a cross and died for your sins and then he rose again. He validated what he did on the cross. He proved he's the son of God that conquers sin and death. And he loves you so much that he says, believe in me. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is your salvation. There is none other. So if you're here this morning, maybe you're here in the sanctuary or in the coffee shop or listening on live stream or later on the radio. Today is the day of salvation for you. If you've never made a commitment, please don't play games with your salvation. If you're not right with God, come to Jesus right now. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again and you're alive and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, I thank you for this new beginning and I thank you for bringing me to the family of God. I want to know you and walk with you personally, Lord, all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, we're going to close here in just a minute. There's a prayer team up front. Tell them the decision you made. But for all of us, Lord, help us in this Christmas season and in all seasons to be a soldier for you, that you would give us the strength as we live in your grace and in your love. The Lord, to be strong and of good courage in every way. So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?